Someone You Should Know, a program about people you know and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Someone You Should Know. As always, so glad to have you with us. Uh, the, the, the cards, letters, notes, emails, everything we get. I do very, very much appreciate it. And all, and I also appreciate my very, very dear sponsor and producer of the show, Christine Dean, who is the DFW networking diva. Now, if you want to take your marketing plan, your business, your website, anything about yourself on social media to the next level, you need to get in touch with Christine. The, the consultation is free. Just go to the website, Christine at DFWNetworkingDiva.com and talk to her. And thank you very, very much again for producing our show. You know, there are times that I come upon a guest for my show that I am absolutely and totally intrigued with for, a, you know, multiple reasons. That guest is today. And I want to introduce you to Deborah Driggs, who is not only are you a beautiful lady, but you've got it. You've got just an incredible story. I and it took a while for us to hook up. And I am so thankful that you finally said, yes, I'll do your show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and allowing me this time. And thank you for the beautiful compliment. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you, and we are just going to sit back and chill and 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 discuss a little bit about who Deborah Driggs is and and who she was and who she is uh, because that's that's part of the plan too. Is now you're you're on the West Coast. Are you a nat native uh, West Coast girl? Are you a native California? I am. I you know I'm one of the very few. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, so I'm a Southern California girl. I was actually born in Oakland, but I only, you know, I was just born on the naval base there. My dad was in the Marines and then uh, we moved to Torrance. So I am born and raised Southern California girl. And it's funny because when I got married, I married um, my husband, my ex-husband uh, was a also husband? a native. A he husband? was my husband, my husband. I, like I, I, I know. I don't like saying ex-husband. It just, I like saying husband, you know? And so, yeah, he was also a native. And so that was very unusual to to marry somebody who was also a native. He grew up in the, in the Valley. And so, yeah, it's, you know, I've lived other places and I've lived out of the country. I've lived in different States in the country, but LA is home. That's, you know, it's where I've spent most of the time, most of my life. And you, you have a very unique life and, 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 I mean, I'm going to start right at really what I find is the beginning of Deborah is you became associated with Playboy. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and by accident, you know, really, I, I didn't never aspired to be in the magazine and and never looked at myself that way. You know, I, I grew up as an athlete. I grew up figure skating and. And when you, you know, you're involved in figure skating, that kind of, you, you're involved in ballet and dance. And so when I stopped skating, it was the natural progression to go into dance. So I was a cheerleader and I was on the dance team and I did all of that. And then I got asked to go, I was a professional cheerleader 
And while I was cheerleading for the LA Express in 1983, I got asked to go to Japan with one of the guys who was on, uh, I want to say Soul Train. I think it was the name of the show. He was okay. a dancer on there. And then two of us that were cheerleaders, we got asked to go to Japan to dance. While I was in Japan, I did some print work. Uh, I was asked to do some print work, some modeling. And, you know, I'm five, six. So I never even thought about uh, modeling. But when I came back to America, I lived in Japan for about six and a half months. And I came back to America and I put myself in a commercial workshop. And and after the six, eight weeks of doing that commercial workshop, I was picked up by three of the agents that were there at the, the last night. They bring in agents and they give you a script and you do an impro improvisational commercial. And, and then the agents decide if, you know, they want to sign you. And so I had three agents that were interested and the agent that I chose had a modeling division. And so I signed with Pacific Artist and Mary Webb Davis. The first thing they sent me on, I booked. And I think that really gave me the confidence and the momentum in that business. You know, I, I knew that I had something because it was unusual to book the first thing you went out on. Right, right. And so, yeah, so I booked it. And so I, so from 84 till about 89, I was working, doing commercials, doing print ads. And in 1989, my agent called me and said that Playboy was interested in seeing me for a new book that they were coming out with called the lingerie book. And my first question was, well, is there, is there nudity? Because, you know, everybody associates with Playboy nudity. And so she said, I don't think so. It's for the cover. And so, you know, I went to the famous Playboy building on Sunset Boulevard. I had passed by it a thousand times, you know, living in Hollywood. And so now I'm going inside this famous building to go on an audition. The audition I did not think went well at all. I, I don't I didn't think I was gonna book this this cover. And I I kind of left thinking, well, that didn't go so well, but I got a call that afternoon that they wanted to shoot me to be a centerfold. And I thought they had confused me with somebody else. I, I really did. I was like, I think you're confusing <laughs> me with somebody else that that was there. And they said, No, we we want you. And and so then, you know, this is 1989. Playboy was the number one magazine in the world. It was very, you know, there was a lot of infatuation there. There was a lot of, you know, like, wow, this could be huge. But on the other hand, it was 1989. It was a different time. And so I knew that some of the wholesome stuff that I was doing, I wasn't going to be able to do anymore because you, it just, that was just the way the you world might, was. You might get labeled after. after yeah. After, and, uh, and it was going to change my, my, my whole thing. And so, you know, we kind of weighed it back and forth and it was decided that I should do it. And I, I it literally was one of the best, best jobs I've ever done, really. I mean, it was so professional and the, there were three main photographers for Playboy magazine back then. Stephen Weta, Arnie Freitag, and Richard Fegley. And I had Richard Fegley. And I asked for him, actually, because I, once I, I knew that I was going to do this, I started doing research and looking at the magazine and looking at different, you know, looking at the photographer's work. And I really connected with Richard's work. And so I asked if he could be my photographer. I requested him. And, and it was just so well done, so professional. I mean, there was... It, you know, it, oddly enough, 
it never felt like I was nude. You know what I mean? It was like, it just all seemed very natural and it was businesslike. It wasn't, there was nothing sleazy about it. I can't explain it. It's, it's, they really make you feel like a queen when you're doing your layout. Well, you know, there's a, there's a a longstanding history with, with Playboy and, and, and you were really at, in Playboy when they were kind of in, in a, in a changing mode, uh, because they started way back in the early fifties, uh, yeah. you know, and I'm from Chicago originally. So I was okay. around when the, when the, the Playboy club, uh, f- the first Playboy club in Chicago opened up in, uh, I think it was 1959 or 60 or so. Uh, and then all of a sudden Playboy all through the sixties. Now we're talking about the Vietnam era and yes. all the the uh, era of hippies and and free love and all that and Playboy was just kind of in that genre and everybody everybody started getting Playboy for different reasons. I mean, as teenagers in the '60s and all, it was always because you know it was something to look at underneath the the covers. Uh, then there are those of us that only bought Playboy for the articles, right? <laughs> Well, guess what? Some of the best articles were written they, for Playboy they, magazine. They were. I mean, oh, honestly, and that, that was our cover. Oh, I, yeah. I just read, I just read the article. There, you could center. get a, you could there's get away with that. Yeah, you could get away with that because it was true. It was yeah. true. The advertisements. I mean, this was a gentleman's magazine with yes. phenomenal articles and phenomenal ads and phenomenal stories for men and. And, and a lifestyle that Hef, you know, Hef's whole thing was he wanted Playboy to be similar to Esquire magazine and he made it better. You know, he showed men, this is the car you should drive. These are the cigars you should That's smoke. This is the cognac this, and, this and these the are the girls you should, you should date. Yeah. yeah. You should date the girl next door. And, you know, and he, and he had people that would, you know, these, the interviews that he would do were so, you know, impactful and, and right spot on for the time, you know? And I also became a really big fan of the, of artist Vargas, who used yes. to do a lot of the sketch work and everything and the, and, and, you know, in the magazine, but, you know, again, through the sixties and the seventies, I mean, it was, it was absolutely the magazine. Then all of a sudden, uh, uh, I think it was in actually in the British Isles penthouse magazine came on the scene to try and compete against Playboy. Yep. And then move the calendar even further and you get toward the, the end of the seventies and early eighties and all in hustler comes in. And now, now all of a sudden there's a myriad of magazines that were trying to compete against Playboy, but Playboy while, Originally, I think people may have thought of it as really kind of a very risky magazine because of of even the the brief amount of nudity that was in the magazine. It was it was it was they were in a league of their own for so long. Yes. But then it was now. Now you were the centerfold in 1990. Uh, was it April? I was the centerfold of March 1990. Donald March Trump. Donald Trump and, is on the cover of my issue that I'm the <laughs> centerfold in. So now it's a collector's item. So yeah, yeah. So and, this and, is what's interesting is I get more fan mail today than I did when my centerfold came out because it's 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 a huge collector's item. 
Well, and by by the early '80s, Hugh Hefner was really kind of backing away from from the Playboy and the and the Empire, and he had turned the presidency actually over to his daughter, uh, Christy. Uh, Christy. Christy Hefner, yes. Yeah, yeah she did a she she was she did a phenomenal job, I thought. And I, you know, I got to meet her a few times when I went to Chicago to, I shot a couple covers in Chicago and I actually liked going to Chicago and shooting in that studio. It had a different vibe from LA. And so I was lucky enough that I got to do both. And so I was on the cover of April, 1990. And then I was on the cover of some other issues, but um, they were used in Europe or they were used. um, One of the covers that I did was used in a movie and I forget the name of the movie, but it was it was something about a centerfold and and my cover was used in that movie. So, you know, I shot a, I shot a, a, at least five or six covers and, you know, they got used for different things. The one in the United States was April 1990. So how did that association through Playboy and everything help launch some of the other things that that you got involved in? Well, everybody wanted to meet me. You know, that's, that's number one. All of a sudden I was, you know, you're the it girl and I wanted to meet you and I finally did. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, that's, and because I was already modeling and already doing commercials, I had a little bit of, uh, I had a little more confidence about going on auditions and things like that. And so, so I was really, you know, in demand because it was like, oh, she's also an actress and she's already, she's not a, uh, she's not green from some other state, you know, coming in, you know, uh, I would say the majority of the girls that do Playboy, that's what they aspire to do is to do Playboy where I had already been working in the entertainment business. So I had a little bit of a jump start. So I was, everybody wanted to meet me. I got called in on a lot of castings. I, I did the Bob Hope special. I did the Oprah Winfrey show. I, I, um, I was getting called in to read for movies, you know, and, and so what I decided to do while I was shooting my centerfold is I put myself in a two-year acting program, which is the Meisner technique. And I studied with Joanne Barron and D.W. Brown and, and really took those two years to, to, to learn how to act so that I could even be better and be more prepared. And so I didn't do a lot of the playboy stuff because I was really busy studying acting and doing that. But it was great because I, you know, when I wasn't, you know, I was getting called in, I was taking meetings and, you know, I got to meet just about everybody. And then Playboy came out with a show called Playboy's Hot Rocks. And I was their first right. choice. Well, was to there be the, Playboy After Dark? It was, uh, there was that. And then there was Playboy's Hot Rocks. And I right. was the first choice to be the VJ for Playboy's Hot Rocks. And I did that for oh. almost a year where I shot that. And I mean, I look back at some of those, some of those episodes and it's, I can like where we started to where, where the show got. And then, you know, Jenny McCarthy took over the show. That's right. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, my, I was, I was offered a lot of different things and stuff. And, but because I was really serious about learning how to act, a lot of it I had to turn down because I committed myself to this two-year program, and and so that was great. And then after I did that two-year program, I did a lot of pilots. I got parts. You know, I had started booking small parts, and 
and doing you know more commercials than ever before because now I have this acting, this solid acting technique under you know under my belt and you know i i think that was the best thing that i could have done and it's great because even last year in 2021 i worked on a movie called neon bleed and it was a small part you know i got to play the mom which was really cool for me at my age you know that um, now i'm yeah. playing that role when and you started your career you played the daughter and i played the, the baby mom, okay. i look like i look like a baby when i was in my 20s so yeah i, I was still going out for teenager roles you know cuz i didn't look my age and so you know i got to work on a movie last year and it was so great cuz i thought you know it's like getting it's like getting back on a bike you know it it you know was, you, was there you know you you said you're working in a movie in 2021 and was there a hiatus in acting for you in other you you said you did some roles when you were young but did continue to get these even small acting pieces all the yeah, way I through had, or I I had to take a, a little bit of a hiatus because I I got married in 92 two years after Playboy and I had just finished my acting uh, studies. And so I got married in 92 in June of 92. And, and then it was after I had my third, I had three children back to back and, and, and 1998, I did the last pilot. I did a show called nightstand and it was a lot of dialogue and it was a lot of pre preparation. And it was really hard to do that with three young kids at home. And I thought, I don't know if I can, if I can keep up. So I kind of took myself out of the the those kind of roles, and I just did commercials. I kept doing infomercials and commercials and things, things like that. Things that you could manage with things uh, that I could manage with kids yeah. and and modeling. And then in 2003, we decided to leave LA and raise our kids in Park City, Utah. And immediately when I got to Park City, I went to Salt Lake and I signed with an agent. I I always do that wherever I'm living. I I look up the agencies and I send them my stuff and I signed with talent management group in Salt Lake and I did a lot of infomercials and commercials while I was living mm -hmm. in, in Park City. And the, the thing that I loved the most was in Park City, I um, met the producer of the Mountain Morning Show, which was a two hour unscripted morning show for Park City. And I said to him, hey, if you ever need a guest host, you know, I would love to come on and do that. That's something I've never really, I mean, I was a VJ for a, a music show, but I would love to do a morning show. So they brought me in for a two-week guest spot because they were they needed a host. And so they brought me in kind of as a temporary until they found a full-time host. And after the two weeks, they asked me if I would just stay and be the, the host. And, and I loved, there was no money. This was a volunteer position because it's a small town, you know, it's Park City TV. Right. And well, so, but it was Park, one of... Isn't Park, Park City is a big skiing resort area, isn't huge it? Huge ski resort. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I loved this job, you know, and I got to meet everybody because, you know, you, our commercials were all based around all the small businesses in Park City. And, and then, you know, we have Sundance that, you know, comes right. in every February. And so we got to meet a lot of producers and directors and interview people from Sundance and it was a great job. I loved it. I love doing a two hour unscripted where anything goes, it's live. And, you know, there's no, Oh, we're, we're going to erase that. I mean, every, there was, it, it, it was what it was. And I liked it. It was a great thing to do. I got up every morning at four 30 and came in and we had fun and I did interviews and 
that was one of the most favorite things I've ever done. Like really. And there was no money involved. And it just gave me a lot of experience of what that felt like to be unscripted and, and live. Well, also, it probably was a great place to be because your audiences were uh, varied because you had in the off uh, snow ski season uh, and everything, you had the locals that were, that were following. Then you totally. had the people that came in during the season and all. And now that just doubled the audience that, that was there. So yes. your, the exposure was probably perfect. Uh, yeah, it was fun. And, and, and it had a, you know, it had like a, 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 we had a website. So my mom could watch it from Florida. She could just go on her computer and link on the website back then and watch the show. And so that was fun. And, you know, and people could comment on the website, you know, as they were watching the show. So I had well, friends from LA watching and, you know, they were like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> watching and, and, you. And speaking of websites, there is so much to know and learn about Deborah Driggs. She has a website that's very easy, DebraDriggs.com. And yeah. <laughs> I, I encourage everybody that's listening and watching, take the time at your leisure to go online to see all the incredible things that Deborah has accomplished in her, in her lifetime thus far. Uh, we are now at a point where you're raising three, th it was three daughters. I have a son and two daughters, a son and two daughters, yes. uh, and all, and you're living in, in Utah and you're, you're raising a family. And, uh, you mentioned early at the outset of the show about your, your, uh, what was he called? Husband. Uh, a, a husband. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so at 40 years old, I got divorced. Um, and when do you, and how old were you when you got married? 28. 28. Okay. So I got married at 28, had three kids, three and, kids. and at 40 years old, I think I literally suffered a midlife crisis and I was not in a good space. I was 40 years old. I was divorced, was broke. We didn't have any money. I didn't leave with some big alimony plan and, and I had three young children. And so I had to reinvent myself. I couldn't live off of maybe getting a job or maybe booking a commercial. So I worked odds and odd jobs here and there. I, I organized closets. I worked at a spa. I mean, I did whatever random jobs to just make money. And, and, and then I decided to get my real estate license and that kind of, that changed everything for me because it, you know, I barely graduated high school. I was a performer. That was my, you know, that is what I grew up doing. I was a performer from figure skating to dancing to commercials to modeling. I was a performer. So I had no other skills. At least I didn't think I did. And then I went and got my real estate license and I passed the test, which was huge. And it may not sound like a big deal to other people, but for me, it it's was one huge. of the hardest. It's one of the hardest. Yes, to, to, to pass it really was because not everybody did. And I know a few people that had to do it two or three times. Yep. And and so I was really proud of myself and I felt smart. You know, I, I, I finally, you know, had this. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I was, you know, I have very good street smart I have a very sense of like what I should do about things. And so I interviewed with the top three realtors in Park City. I decided I, I didn't have the money to start because with real estate, you really do have to invest in yourself and it's kind of being self-employed. Right. So I decided that I was going to be an assistant to the top realtor in Park City. And so I met with three 
And the one that I hit it off with, we met for breakfast and he said, what are you really good at? And I said, I'm really good with people. And he said, well, guess what? I have 37 listings and I'm completely burned out on taking care of these people. I need an assistant who can call them every day and put up with their, you know, Right. frustration of not, you know, their house not getting sold. And I need somebody who's good at that. And I said, I am really good at that. Like I can do that. And then I said, but here's what you need to know. I've never worked in an office. I don't know how to, I barely know how to send an email. You know, I, I, I did emails for fun. You know, he said, I can teach you all of that. I will teach you all of that. And you handle. So we had, so we worked in the same office. We were a team and we worked out a deal where if I brought a deal in, I got 50%. And if and I got a percentage of everything that he brought in plus my salary. So it was such a great job for me, for somebody who never worked in an office. I learned everything. I learned about marketing. I learned how to how to do a marketing report and send it out to clients. And and then, you know, he and I would meet on the weekends and brainstorm ideas of things that we could do to up our game. And, and I would go to the weekly uh, meetings at the brokerage that we worked at. So I would learn from all the other realtors. And I did a lot of open houses because that was the other thing he really didn't like doing. He didn't like sitting open houses and I did. So I would meet all these people and then they would say, well, you list my house because they liked the way I was showing these homes. And so I'd walk back to the office with a $3 million listing. And I'd go over to the girls and say, you know, that machine where you put the paperwork in and then it ends up at my email. And they're like <laughs> the scanner. I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can you show me one more time how to use that? And they're like, she brings in a $3 million deal and she doesn't know how to use a scanner. And that was my story. It was like, you know, I just learned as I went and. Well, you were, you were the boots on the ground. I really was. I really was. And you had you had in all those previous years from from Playboy going forward, and all, you had the street smarts, you had that people talent in order in, in connecting with people. And good lord, in in real estate, that's one of the most important talents that anybody can have is the ability to just talk to people and, yeah. and relate to people and interact with them. And I think I innately knew this. Like I just. I was not, a, I'm not a salesperson, even in the business that I had the most success in, we'll get to that, but I'm just not a salesperson. I really do take interest in people. And so, you know, the thing with Park City is, you know, it's a second home, really community. It's a multi-million dollar, right. you know, people from New York are buying a second home. And so they would fly in. And so I would learn about their business and, and I, you know, the networking that went on was to me more important than making a sale on, on a house. And, you know, and this is the other thing I learned is that sometimes people just say no and they don't, they don't do the business. And, and, you know, in my head, I don't know why, but I would always say to myself, oh, it's a maybe because they always came back around, you know, maybe it was not, not happening right that right then and there, but maybe six months I would get that call where they'd be like, you know what, we're going to fly back in. I think we do want to take a look at that property again. And so, you know, I just, that made me really realize that no is not the final. It's just not. And it's the relationships that you build 
you know, these people come back around. And that was a good lesson for me because going into the next phase, the next reinvention, you know, 2008 happened and I'm working in a second home multi-million ski resort little town. And that was right. the first market to go. Nobody's buying a multi-million dollar home at this point in a ski, re in a ski resort, no less. So all of a sudden we, I went from this to this overnight, like uh, 2008 was like a ghost town you know, for real estate. And so I had to reinvent. And so I went into, you know, again, what am I going to do? I took odd jobs again, just to make a buck. I worked on a boat, if you can imagine cleaning toilets and making beds, and it was horrible. And then I got in the print procurement business for about two years. And I had to relocate to New York to do this job. And that, I will say was business 101. That is when I learned really how to go to meetings and how to how to conduct a meeting and how to get right to the point because in New York things move really fast. I I I actually suggest to anybody when you get out of college, especially if you're, you know, coming out, go live in New York for a year. That will your the life lessons that you'll get from living in New York will change your life forever. And so I mean I, I would get people that would say you got 10 minutes. I'll meet you for 10 minutes. And that was exactly what they gave me. So I had to have my my stuff together and ready to go. I think and, someone once said that, that New York City is like the burnout capital of the world. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people get thrust into jobs, positions with companies, and those companies push, 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 push. And you either roll with the flow or... or you're done. Yep. It's and the highway. I, and, and, and nobody's late. Okay. I, I'm from L.A where people are casually an hour late and it's no big deal in LA. <laughs> yes. New York is you do not get away. There is no being late. People are on time. And if they say lunch is at 12, lunch is at twelve. They're already sitting, a bottle of wine has been ordered. Like New York right. is a different vibe. It is completely different from LA. And so that was the other thing I was like, wow, People, you know, and I'm like that too. Like I, if I say I'm going to be somewhere at noon, I, it really bothers me if I'm not there at noon, it, like I beat myself up. And so that was really cool about New York too, is, you know, the networking and the relationships that I built, which led me into my next bit. So now I'm in, I'm in New York. I learn about uh, uh, ch chapter 12. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is like, you can't make this up. And, you know, it's so funny because people go, if you were, you know, when you were in your twenties and you were in LA and you were at the height, you know, you're on magazine covers, I was on the cover of muscle and fitness. I'm on the cover of playboy. I'm on the cover of all this other, you know, and it's like, if somebody would have said to me, you're going to be in the print procurement business in your forties, I would have said, what are you talking about? You know? But I, you know, as I was really good at what I did and, and really good at getting meetings with people, you know, I would just would not, I was relentless. It was like, just meet with me for five minutes, you know? When, when, now, when we, you were in New York, did you ever have the opportunity to do, to continue with a little bit of acting or, yes. or modeling? So, yeah. So I signed with Paradigm. So like I told you, everywhere I go in life, I, I find an agent. You find so an I agent. Signed, I signed with Paradigm and went out on commercial auditions while I was working. So I was doing both. And also what I learned in New York was I started learning about referral fees. I started learning about a draw, you know, like how you could get a draw off of a commission. And I, I, I was getting savvy. So I had been referring business to this life insurance brokerage that did 
my life insurance when I was married and they, they are the best in America. And so I would refer them a lot of business, but I never asked for a referral fee. So now I'm living in New York and I'm getting very savvy. So I call them up and I said, you know, I've been referring a lot of business to you. You guys are the best, but I would like to get a referral fee. And they said to me, get your license. Why don't you, why don't you just get 50%? And I went, Okay. So now on the weekends, I'm studying to get my life agent license. And while I was at it, I thought, well, I'll get my life settlement license as well. And in 2010, I got my license to be a life agent and I became a full-time life agent, moved back to California. And in July of 2011, I became full-time in the life insurance. And in 2012, 13 and 14, I was the number one agent for, for one of the carriers. I was, I'm not capped. I wasn't, I'm not captive. I, I, I'm licensed with all the carriers. So what sets us apart is we're working for the client, not the carrier. And so I was licensed with a lot of them. And in 2012, one of the carriers had a great product and I sold a lot of it. And they didn't even know. They were like, who is this Deborah Gaylord? You know, because I use my married name for business. And, you know, because I wasn't an agent of theirs, but I was the number one. I sold a lot of their product. And so, so that really, that changed my whole life. Now I'm not living check to check to check. Now I'm starting to make money and... And, you know, I'm putting my kids through, through school and, and, you know, our life is changing a little bit now. You know, I had in the, my whole life, I had just lived check to check to check. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, I actually have some money, you know, and, and it was a big, big game changer. But I will say this, you know, with, through all these experiences, through all these ups and downs, through all these, you know, changes I, the thing that I've learned, and it's what I write about now, because now I, I'm back in my creative space, is that none of that stuff matters. You know, at, at the end of the day, none of it, like, you know how people say, oh, if I just had the right partner, I'd be happy. Or if I just made a million dollars, I'd be happy. But if I that, just- Isn't that the grass is always greener theory? Yes. You know, and, and always, you know, if if I was only like so-and-so yeah. or like, you know, or located there, but you, you have to play the cards that you are dealt in the Absolutely. best way, the best way that you know. Uh, yeah. And I had all those things happen to me where, you know, all of a sudden I had this great relationship or all of a sudden I made this great money, but I wasn't so happy. The happiness only lasted like for a day, if that, you know, that's what's shocking about it. And so, you know, I think in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I started writing. I always have loved to write, even as a kid, you know, I'd write poems and I just, I love writing. I love expressing and I love creativity. And so during the pandemic, our office shut down, everything changed. I wasn't making the money that I was making for so many years, everything completely shut down. And I thought, wow, I have to reinvent again. That's fascinating, you know, because, you know, you think you can never get super comfortable because who knew that that was going to happen? I, I, I think I think the artwork on 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 your book would have to have something to do with a roller coaster, <laughs> uh, you know, be, be, because up, up and down and up and down. But the beauty that I see in you is that you have have always had the ability 
to kind of reinvent yourself to 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 say i'm not going to let me get this get 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 the, me let it get me down and on the website you go into some detail in the website that there were some dark times in in oh, yeah. your life uh and, and let me had, let those are the times by the way that I, I i completely see this now i didn't see it at the time at the time i was on my knees and really you know in a dark place and i see it now that those are the times when the spiritual and emotional growth happen the spiritual and emotional growth does not happen when everything's so great you know everything's right. working out well and i'm just growing emotionally and spiritually no Put it on the back burner what happens is when you get down on your knees and you're in a dark place the growth is going to happen it's not easy it's not easy at all it's really difficult I took a year of my life in 2021 and I removed just about every distraction that you can imagine, but I added in all this beautiful stuff. And I took a year off dating, off drinking, off going out with girlfriends, off traveling, unless it was for work, off social media. I really went inward. I also got, I did a mastery program on uh, becoming a life coach and learning NLP and neuro-linguistic language and, you know, uh, programming. And so I wanted to grow and learn and find out why through all this stuff that I've mentioned, it, it wasn't fulfilling something in me, you know, it, you know, like I said, money, relationships, uh, being on the cover of them, none of that stuff made me feel good about myself. None of it. And yeah. why is that? What was missing? What is the missing link? And that intrigued me. And it be I started getting really curious. And I just put myself into a lot of books, a lot of reading, a lot of training. And I started writing my weekly blog where I could be really authentic. Because, you know, here's one of the things that happened. Somebody said to me one time, I, you know, I think I expressed, you know, that, you know, I ended up in some lockdown facility in my 40s having a nervous breakdown. And she's like, what? You always seem like you have it so together. And the light bulb went off. And I thought, you know, I, I was suffering quietly for so many years that if I'm suffering quietly, other people are too. So I'm going to write about that so that nobody feels alone because it's hard to ask for help. And I know that just from my own experience, I never asked for help. I just would, you know, dig my heels in and like, I got this and just suffer, suffer, suffer until you just collapse. And there's well, and no, there's no need to do into, that. You've turned that into something that's very, very positive. And again, I urge those that are listening and watching to go to the website because you can sign up to receive uh, uh, but it's about weekly notices that you send out and yes. you talk about things like closure and you talk about things like, uh, like, like, you know, just uh, one of the heartbreak, things that I heartbreak, sitting in silence, you know, going within, I'm, I'm really all about looking at my part in every situation now where I used to yeah. just put out this energy of blame and like it was always this and it was always that. And no, it really wasn't. When I really go into a deep mode of what is really going on. And by the way, these things, it never, it doesn't stop. You don't just all of a sudden get enlightened. It's, yeah, it's, and it's, it's like, it's ongoing practice. 
you know, because things are going to sideswipe you. I got sideswiped two nights ago. Something happened that I wasn't expecting. And I got a call and it was like a sideswipe. It was like, what? You know? And so then I had to go, okay, this is a great, like now for me, it's like, this is such a great example. And I'm going to write about this. Right. Because it's fascinating that this just happened and I get to now use this awareness that I have. How great is that? You know, it's like we're in the past. It would have just knocked me down. It would have just devastated me and it would have, oh, see, it's happening again where now it's because I've done the work. And if until you do the work and people know this, we know this intuitively until you do the work. It, these things will just keep knocking you down. They will. And and what I'm picking up out of out of your postings too is that you're very much into picking out single words, like for instance the word stop. You talk about when things get to you, you know, you just have to learn how to just pause, sit back, and just stop. Yeah. Uh, you have another one where you talk about the word breathe learning learning how to let that overcome these emotions that we all have and we are living certainly at a time where we've gone through two years we're into our going into our third anniversary of the pandemic and we are all going crazy over it and sometimes you just have to sit back and you have to take a deep breath i know you've gotten into yoga yeah. and 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 let letting that that just say, okay, I'm not going to let all this stuff all around me take over me. Just breathe. Yeah. Stop. It's really, it's, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm, you know, as a person who suffers from anxiety and suffers from impulsivity, meaning I would in the past do things impulsively. If somebody said, Hey, let's go do this. I go, okay without even right. a thought. And I, that just was how I lived my life for a lot of years. It wasn't serving me. And so to, to really balance, you know, have the balance and know that, okay, I'm not making decisions quickly. Now, now the decisions have to be slept on no major decisions. And by the way, that, that was one of the things I did in 2021 was I, I actually wrote it in big capital letters, no major decisions for one year, meaning you're not moving, you're not dating, you're not getting in a relationship, you're not going to change careers, you're not going to, you know, go buy clothes, no major decisions, no major financial purchases. Like this is a year of getting really clear and stopping that pattern. And when you do that work, it's hard. It's not easy. Because, you know, my whole life was run on anxiety and fear and all these low spiraling emotions. And when you start getting to the upward spiraling, like where you're really in gratitude, you're really in love, you're really in just this kind of enlightened and you're aware. And you and I could feel it in so many times in 2021 where somebody would say something to me and I would get that feeling of like, oh, I really want to do that. But I made a commitment. And I'm not going to make that decision. And it was really hard. I have to tell you. And you also encourage people before they you make a, a major decision. You also say sleep on it. 
Yes. Get a good night's sleep to reassess yeah. it, to get the get the, the the juices flowing again before you make those those uh, decisions. And and the one other word, you know, and I I just became fascinated by the single words that you kept dropping out there and then defining those words. The other one was, and and you got it all over your face, and that is smile. Yeah. You tell people smile. It, yeah. it, 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 it opens you up. It, it's it, the it, best anti-aging trick out there. Yes. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, if you want to look younger, smile. Smile a lot you more. You know, I, I just, you know, <laughs> people go, what's your secret? What are you doing? I'm like yoga and I smile. You know, yeah. it's, those are my two And secrets. then when you smile, they want to know, yeah, I wonder what she's up to. Yeah. yeah. What's going on? Why <laughs> is she guessing. so happy? It's really hard to be upset when you're in gratitude. I will right. tell you that, you know, I, no matter what's going on around me, if I'm really in gratitude, if I'm really in it, like if I just feel super grateful, it's hard to be upset. It's hard to be upset when I'm doing yoga. You know, I right. have taught, there are times, you know, I got yoga certified in 2013 and I didn't do it because I wanted to teach yoga. I did it because I wanted to enhance my practice. But I can tell you, there have been times that I've showed up at yoga completely like filled with anxiety and resentment and anger and just seeing red. And then I left, leave yoga and I'm like, what was I upset about? You know, because right, it's hard, right. it's hard to be upset when you're doing yoga and you're doing this deep breathing, you know, you can't, you kind of let it go, you know, it, you breathe it out. And then it would be fascinating to me. I would leave yoga and go, you know, no, there's a lesson there because I don't even remember what I was. So I was seeing red about, you know, I was so upset. And then I leave yoga and it's like, it never happened. And that's a great lesson. You know, well, I also, I'm a really, really, really concerned in today's, in our, the time we're living in with relationships, you know, it's so easy to jump around and go from relationship to really, we have apps, we can swipe, we can date like crazy. We, you know, there's serial daters and, you know, people end relationships and jump into new ones. And, and so I talk about that a lot too, because I really believe that there's no hope for a real good, serious, honest, authentic relationship when you're jumping from one to the next, because you're bringing all that energy with you to the, and by the way, I did this. So everything I talk about or I write about is something that I have experienced and I've done that didn't work. And so in November of 2020, I had a relationship that ended. And, and, you know, here's the odd thing is that the relationship ended, but, and I was really upset and I knew the relationship was not right for me, but I was still like upset about it. And like, it was so odd to me, my reaction to being, yeah, and, and then I went through this whole thing. And then I thought, okay, guess what? The reason, this is what I came up with. The reason that I was so upset had really nothing to do with that person. It was that I had all, what it does is it brings up all these past experiences all the way back to my divorce, yeah. which my divorce actually brought me to my knees, but I never recovered or worked on it. And so I thought, you know what? Now I'm going to do it. It's 2021. It's a new year. This is the year that I'm going to take of no dating, no relationships and clear out this energy so that I can be ready for somebody wonderful who's going to come into my life. Nobody wants to, people feel these things, right? We feel it when somebody's not completely present with you. 
And I've been on a couple dates since I've done all this work. And it's so, I'm so aware. My gut is so right on. Let me tell you, talk about having instincts. Like I know that this person I'm with is not fully here. He's not fully present. He's probably in a relationship with somebody else that he's going back and forth with. Like I can figure this out in one date because I'm so aware because I've cleared out my energy. Right. And I'm right. so open that I'm now seeing as I'm dating when people are completely preoccupied and whether it's with work or another relationship or whatever, they're not present. And so yeah. it really, it, it's, it can set you up when you do this work to really, when you'll know when the, when the, the, the person is the, it's the right thing. You feel it because you're aware and you know, well, the website is DebraDriggs.com. The email is real easy too, because it's Debra at DebraDriggs.com. <laughs> you know, I, I, it, this has been a, a great time spent with you. I, I very much enjoy the conversation. I know that you've got a few things that are in the fire. You got a book coming out and all. And I, 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 I have to I have to extend another invitation to you to come back Thank and you. we'll talk a little bit more when some of these other things develop. But gosh, thanks thanks for taking the time to to Thank be with me you. today and to Thank be with you. my audience and 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 reach out to Deborah and ask her questions and all. She's been around the block a few times, just a few, you know, <laughs> and she'll she'll share and also get put in your email address and receive her her weekly. Uh, blogs and everything because they're, they're fascinating. They'll help make you a better person. So thank Deborah, you. thank you very, very much for, for being with me. Go out. And as I say, go out and be yourself because everyone else is taken. Yes. And, and come back and join us again next week. Same time right here for another edition of someone you should know. Thank you so much. Take care. Someone you should know.